The following program is a special presentation of the Big Ten Network, produced in association with the University of Iowa. Welcome to Conversations from the Iowa Writers' Workshop. I'm Keisha Lynn. Even before Yi Yun Lee graduated from the Iowa Writers' Workshop, her stories about the people in her native China were already being praised by critics and readers. Her short story collection, A Thousand Years of Good Prayers, won a host of prestigious awards. And now she's here with her new novel, The Vagrants. She's being compared to Tolstoy, Chekhov, Dickens, Orwell, you know, regular ordinary writers. Yin Lee, welcome to Thank the program. Thank you very much. So now I want you to talk about the period of time in which this novel takes place. This is in the late 1970s after Mao has died and China's going through quite a bit of turmoil. Can you talk about that? Right, so it was set in 1979. 1979 was a very special year in contemporary Chinese history that was one China. It was two years after uh, the end of the Cultural Revolution, and China started to open its gate to the West mm -hmm. and started to develop economy. And you know, China has become China as we know today because of 1979. So, but a lot of things also were carried on from the Cultural Revolution. So that was, I was very curious about that time. Well, the Cultural Revolution, just for people who don't know, is that this was a time when Mao Zedong had decided that anything that was even remotely related to bourgeois intellectualism had to be purged. Right, correct? right. And it went on for 10 years. It went on for 10 years. Yeah. And I noticed that one of the um, one of the reviews that came out about this book described, um, it was in the Times of London, it said that Orwell's novel, Orwell's novel 1984, envisioned the nightmare that could happen your book describes one that did happen. You were a child around the time that, 19, 1979, you were the same age as one of your characters. What do you remember from that time period? You know, I there, you know, I think that it's interesting when you were a child, you mm -hmm. remember a lot of things, but you don't understand. So mm -hmm. I carried a lot of memories from around the time, even just, you know, between 1977 and 1979, there were, you know, a couple of things like I remembered really well and I was very perplexed was I went to a, like, a couple of times we were taken out of schools, preschools, to go to these denunciation ceremonies before people were executed. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was a very festive day and everybody was happy and you know, we, we sung songs, we marched there and one time I remembered really well, I was five and there were four people who were going to be executed and one of them was a woman. Mm -hmm. I remembered her hair. Oh. I think that was the only really concrete memory about that person. Mm -hmm. So those things, you know, you, you do carry them around with you yeah. without understanding them. You didn't understand what was going on, but it's interesting, like you said, what things flashed in your mind. Mm -hmm. And I know you said that this is based, this book, The Vagrants, is based on a true story. I wanted to read the opening mm -hmm. sentence. Um, the day started before sunrise on March 21st, 1979, when teacher Gu woke up and found his wife sobbing quietly into her blanket. And the next sentence you describe that this is the day that their daughter is going to be executed. Can you talk about the story from which this was built? Right, so I based the, uh, the novel loosely on this case in late 78 and early 79. There was not much to research on the case, yeah. for one thing, but this was in a provincial town, and the woman had been ex uh, prisoned for 10 years, and then she got a retrial, and she got a sen death sentence after the retrial, and she was executed. Right before she was executed, her kidneys were taken out. Right. 
uh, for transplant, and and her body was also mutilated by this really weird, creepy person. So, and she died after she died. The town organized a protest on her behalf, mm -hmm. and. A few weeks later, there was this crackdown, and the second woman, who was the leader of organizer of the protest, she was executed. Right. So I look, you know, I just look at this case because there was not much to research, and also I think it was perfect for a novel. Is that bookends yeah. execution? So I just started to, you know, think about these people. Just kind of building the story around, right. you know, this this event. Right. And what's really interesting about this is that you do have all these different characters who are all experiencing this time, and they all live in a town called Muddy River, which I read was the old name of your husband's hometown. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. He was from Muddy River, but Muddy River was renamed into White Mountain in nice 1994. Name. Very <laughs> nice name for touristry. Yeah. 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 But now you're from the city, right? You grew up. You I grew up in Beijing. You grew up in Beijing. You decided to choose a small town. Mm -hmm. Is there a particular reason for that, for this? Yes. One, you know, the main reason is I'm always interested in, in things that happen around the center, not in the center. You know, in 1979, there was this democratic war movement, you know, called Beijing Spring right. in Beijing. But those were activists and, you know, they were, they were really at the center of all this change. But I, I think my interest was with the, you know, this provincial town, how the center, you know, the change in the center rippled through the country. So, so that's one reason I chose Muddy River. The other thing is, you know, I grew up in Beijing, but in late 1970s, Beijing was very pro provincial so, in yeah. a way. It was much, not much different from Muddy River. What I liked about this novel, so many things I liked about this novel, but um, how you have these different stories that kind of intertwine. You have these different characters. You have the goose, the, the, the woman being executed is named Gushan, and her parents are the goose, and then you have her classmate. You have this girl who was crippled. Um, you have this boy, Bashi, who was very creepy. You have this little boy. What was the, tell me about some of the advantages and challenges of working with such a large cast of characters. You know, for one thing, I think, you know, I used to really love that communal voice, that we voice in storytelling, and but that communal voice is really hard to carry on sure. in the novel format. But for what, you know, one thing, if you look at Chinese history or any history that, you know, lives in the, you know, people live in this close quarter without knowing a lot of things, none of them had a real story. You really had to, you know, piece together the real story from different point of views. So that's the reason I started to work on this, but it was very hard to keep track of all these people. Right, right. I had a list of people's names and jobs and ages. Just <laughs> <laughs> like figuring this stuff out. Well, you had your core, you had the skeleton of the story, which was this, this true story, mm -hmm. and then you kind of, like I said, you wove all these people in. Mm -hmm. Did you, was this a point A to point B type of writing, or did you find yourself writing? Because like I said, I felt like each one of these people's stories could have stood on their own, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, did you have, did you write it piecemeal, or? Mm -hmm. I wrote it really from point A to point B. Point a, I, you yeah. know, I knew mm -hmm. one. I started with one execution and it with another. And I also knew, you know, that there were three parts in the novel yeah. around three public events. So most characters were written from just point A to point B. But there was one character I actually did a lot of revision. As was Kai, Kai, yes, the second woman who mm -hmm. was executed. She came in really late. She mm -hmm. was a very minor character at the mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. beginning. At the first draft. Yeah, she comes up pretty strongly. Yeah, in the end, I realized, you know, you really, 
if you kill someone, if you kill someone in a novel, yeah. you have to give your readers this person you for them to, to miss her. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned Kai because she is as counterpoint because they went to school together, she and the right. executed woman, and she is a mouthpiece for the party. And right. at this time in China, they had these, each town had its own loudspeaker system and mm -hmm. they read the propaganda, you know, and all that. And it was just interesting how you find out that she you know, it was really affected by this and that she is now part of this anti-communist mm -hmm. demonstration. Was she the hardest character to write? She she was the hardest character. Yeah. For one, you know, one thing is she was a young mother. Yeah. And as a young mother, it it, it broke my heart. She gave up her life, you know, and, she, you know, she had this young baby. And also just in general, I feel that it's harder to write about people your age, mm -hmm. close to your inner experience. Yes. And... With her, especially hard, particularly hard, because she was a very good character. Right. You know, she was a good person. She 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 was a martyr in the end. Mm -hmm. So, so I just had to constantly push her and just to know her better. Right, right. Yeah. I thought that she was really again complex. All of the characters were complex. Uh, I was thinking about Bashi, who is the he's described as a sinister. He's described <laughs> as an idler, as a loner, a little simple. I just thought he was a fascinating character. I, I, I always wonder sometimes when you write characters, yeah, certain ones are more fun than mm -hmm. others. I mean, he's kind of, he, he's not a nice person, but... He's not a nice person. He's a lovely character. Yeah, he he's, is. He's one of my most favorite characters from, the, from <laughs> the novel. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I sort of knew him really well from the very beginning, and whatever he did really made sense mm -hmm. in a way, you know, according to his logic. Sure. And he had really wrong logic. He you know, really wrong, wrong, wrong logic. So, but it was very much fun to write him. And he was also, he really broke my heart too, because he's, he was also a sweetheart. You know, he was, he was off, but he also had that capacity to love people. Now we're at the end of the story, and there's only certain things people feel safe to talk mm -hmm. about. So that they're kind of making up their stories. They have this legend, but it's in this narrow right. space. Right. You know that descriptive, that 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 sense of being censored and being watched. Mm -hmm. Even though China's technically on the verge of a new, you know, a, a new paradigm, really a new a new way of being. Right. But 79 people were much more watched than yeah, now, I than would say. Now. Yeah. And that the Democracy Wall movement, which you document in this, mm -hmm. um, was a precursor to the Tiananmen Square Yes, yeah, so 10 years earlier. Year, it was yeah. 10 years earlier, yeah. right. Um, I wanted to ask one thing about the book and the not and the, um, the your short story collection, A Thousand Years of Good mm -hmm. Prayers, which again, um, you, you describe these people in China, um, you go to the past, you go to the present. I remember one of your stories had that we, that and great right. we voice. Do you find that novel, I mean, again, for me, the, short, the novel felt very much like stories put together, mm -hmm. but do you find that um, novels, that you, you attempted the novel and having written short stories, do you have a preference? You know, I love both very yeah. much, and for different reasons. I, I, I when I finished the novel, I felt very sad. I mm -hmm. thought, you know, I kind of exploited these characters' lives to the extent that they did not have a life yeah. after this book, and many of them died, uh -huh. and or you know, met their horrible fates. So, so in a way, I think for a novel, you really spent you know, three hundred pages and five years with yeah. your characters, yeah. and they were yours, mm -hmm. and. 
it was very lovely, but heartbreaking. But with stories, I often, I often feel that characters from my stories live on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. After they show up in my stories, they still have their lives. They still have their lives, so you could go back to them yes. at some point. And right? I can meet them in, in the street without you their knowing. You can meet them in the street. <laughs> without yeah. their knowing. You said that it took you five years to work on The Vagrants? Well, it, yes, about five I mean, the real writing process was not that long, but okay. the gestational stage was really long. It was yeah. I started the novel before I started the short story Did collection. Did you really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh -huh. So I had the idea, but I had to finish the collection of stories. Right, right. Now, now, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, I always think that your story of how you came to the workshop is really <laughs> inspiring. It's like there are legends in the workshop of how oh, so-and-so came here. Can you talk about how you got here to the Iowa Writers Workshop? Right. You know, I really, it really happened by chance. And a lot of good things in life happen by yeah, chance. Absolutely. And so I was, a, I was a science student in China, and I really wanted to come to America. So I came to Iowa City to study immunology. So I was in the PhD program on the other side of the river. Right. And I took, a, I took a community writing class from a woman who was just a recent graduate from the workshop. Oh, wow. And I wrote a story and she put me aside. She said, do you want to publish? And I thought, <laughs> I had never written anything. And she said, you should write. And so I, I it was very encouraging when, when she said that. So I, I kept writing for actually for five, five years before I actually did get into the writing programs. Wow. Yeah. See, and you didn't come here again. You came here to study immunology. Had you ever wanted to write before? before? I had not. I, you know, oddly enough, I never thought about becoming a writer. I'd always been a reader. I loved reading, but again, Iowa City is a very strange place. You got here, you heard everybody was writing a novel, right? right. And yeah. he thought I thought I could try. Yeah. At least just try. Every third person walking the sidewalk in Iowa City is writing a novel, yeah, right? Is. So I you know. got infected by the air of Iowa I City. Know. <laughs> and, and look what happened to you. What were some of the things you learned? I, now I understand you also have an MFA in nonfiction, is that right? I did, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So what were some of the things that you learned that really have stood you in good stead as a writer, both from nonfiction workshop as well as the writer's workshop? You know, it's. I, I would say, you know, Iowa City is a, or these programs are really good that because people are so serious about literature. Mm -hmm. People are serious about writing and nobody laughs at you, you know, if you want to be a writer, which is really nice. And also just just that discipline, you know, if you look at the next person, mm -hmm. next person is at the coffee shop writing. It's right. very encouraging. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not, you know, writing tends to be a very lonely business, but here in Iowa City writing is not that lonely, no, I would say. No, you're surrounded by people. Everybody's doing it, right? right? right. And you had a class of people who supported you, right. and you know, right. people you're still in touch with, right. some people you, that you're right. reading with. Can you talk about your writing process? Mm -hmm. I mean, because I know you're, you're married. You have two young boys. You're <laughs> right. teaching. Yes. I'm going to ask about your teaching process in a minute. But how? Mm -hmm. What's your typical writing day like? You know, my really typical writing day starts. At midnight, ah, okay. and I write from midnight to four o'clock in the morning, because I feel that's the only time I can get by myself. You know, yeah. mm -hmm. it was with children and a, and a job and a family to <laughs> to Quiet take care house, of. It's yeah. very hard. Yeah, so so when I do my active writing, that's the time I write. Yeah. And yeah. and sometimes if I have you know time in the morning, I would re revise. Mm -hmm. Tell me about teaching. You teach at UC Davis, and you're mm -hmm. teaching creative writing. You're also teaching literature. Yes. Um, how is that working out for you? How do you like that? 
I like, you know, for one thing, you know, this is something I got from Iowa City, and I studied with Marilyn Robinson and James McPherson, and all these great writers, they really passed on something to me, and I felt, you know, when I became a professor, it's time for me to pass on something yeah. to the next generation. So I love working with serious young writers, mm -hmm. but I also, I really do love teaching reading. Yeah, yeah. Because... You know, it's just fun to read a great story with your students, and sometimes they don't feel the story is great. And, right. and then you kind of feel that you're trying to have a conversation with a great writer in front of your students, right. and having them you know, understand that conversation. Can you describe one of the stories that you've you taught know, I, in your class? I taught uh, Chekhov's Darling, right. okay. which was anthologized, you know, mm -hmm. often anthologized. Sure. And my students complain about <laughs> that, mm -hmm. the, the woman character. Yeah. Mm -hmm said, you know, she was too weak and she was she was in, she was not independent, mm -hmm, you know, she mm -hmm. always she married someone, she she took up the husband's words. And I said, No, 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 you know, you, you need to look closely. Right. There was one line about when she was married to the to the theater manager. Mm -hmm. The theater manager was very dramatic mm -hmm. and, you know, sentimental and all these things. And and in the story Chekhov said every time there was a bad review, she cried with her husband. Mm -hmm. But then she went to the newspaper to fix it. A right. uh, question I've asked most of the writers that have come to visit us is, what kinds of things do you want your students to learn from you in your class? Right, yeah. So I think two things I'm like teaching my students, if they can get from me or you know get from any writer would be great. One thing is, I want my students to understand that they write not for the sake of publication. And you know, if you look at, you know, there are so many books published every year. You know, in 10 years, how many books will be read right. in 50 years? So wh what I want to get across is, you know, you write to have a good conversation with a great writer. Mm -hmm. So so for me, I feel that I write to, to talk to William Trevor. You know, if I have a story that can talk to Trevor's story, mm -hmm. I'll be really happy. So I feel that in that gives them a lot to look up to, you know, if you can have a conversation with Chekhov in your story, that's much more wonderful than thinking, you know, can I be the next hottest, you know, right. best young. Right. You know, it's interesting about teaching and trying to get the students to see the story right. through your eyes. I have a friend who teaches um, Tim O'Brien's The Things They oh, Carry, yes. which is a classic story. Yeah. And she says from the beginning, she's saying, you are going to like this story. I don't care how long we spend, how much time we spend on this, you're going to like this story. But one of the things that I enjoyed about teaching the same thing is to show people your favorite, you know, authors. Right. Can you talk about some of your favorite authors? Who are you reading now? I, you know, William Trevor is my hero. Yes. So right, I, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I read, I, I still read him every day, you, you know, just wow. to get that voice. So I, but I don't teach Trevor often because mm -hmm. it breaks my heart when people say, something negative. You, yeah, no, you like, cannot that's, teach that's someone. my friend. You can't talk oh, to no, him. I know. <laughs> you can't talk about him. But I love, you know, I love to teach, you know, Chekhov and, and Mopassan and these, you know, classics in Gogol and especially writers, you know, and they don't often like to read. Right. You know, it's easier to teach, say, Dennis Johnson mm -hmm. than Gogol, I think. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I know. I know. It's the challenges in finding um, in the old stories, right. the things that will that young people will relate to. That's right. Yeah. yeah, it's a challenge of teaching, though. It's, it's, yes. I always yeah. think it's great to be able to expose a student to a Guy de Maupassant story. I know. And, yeah. You know. And I feel that you know the students are young. They it's their first time or second time to to read these stories, and it would take them some time to yeah. to get to the story. Yeah, they may call you five years from now. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> what are you working on now? I I I just. I think I just finished a collection of stories, and I just turned in the 
manuscript before I finished, and before I, I, the book came out, before the novel came out. So I'm going to start a novel that is set in contemporary China in 2008 rather than, you know, 1970. And then going, then going back, are you think, do you think you're done with that period? Or, I mean, it's hard to say. No, you know. I, you know, I think it's, it's very hard to say. And I think, you know, it depends on your mood. Sometimes you just want to go back and to explore that period again. But for now, I feel that I need to put it down. Yeah, right. Yes. Right. I wanted to make sure I asked you real quick about the fact that two of your stories have been made in the movies um, in this past year, as a matter of fact. Were you involved in the making of those movies at all? Yes. Yeah, so Wayne Wang, who, who is the director, you know, of Joy Luck Club and other, you know, Smoke by Pallister, and he, he did two films. I, I, I wrote the script for A Thousand Years Good Prayers for him. And I worked with him on that movie and that film really closely. So we went through the drafts of many times. And then I went to the set to, to, to read with the actors. Mm -hmm. And, which was fun. Oh, that's great. Have you yeah. seen the movies? I have seen both, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. How does it feel to have your, to see your work on the screen? It's very, you know, it's lovely and strange in the way that you, you, you made up these people in your, in your imagination and all of a sudden they were, they were real on the screen. Mm -hmm. And they were saying your lines, which was really odd. But it was lovely, too. Nice yeah. experience. It was very nice Thank experience. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. Thank you very much, Keisha. This is Ian Lee's new novel. It's called The Vagrants. I'm Keisha Lin. You've been watching Conversations from the Iowa Writers' Workshop. The preceding program was produced by the University of Iowa in association with the Big Ten Network.